for our sponsor, Dog Overboard Adamstown, the fun and healthy place for dogs. Pet Chat on your pet-friendly radio station, 2NURFM 103.7. Good afternoon. We are back and we're talking about our favourite creatures ever, our pets. For Pet Chat, welcome Cheryl Shaw. How are you today? Very well, Sarah. Thank you. And Dr Paul McCarthy, lovely to see you as well. And always lovely to see you, Sarah. What are we chatting about today? What are we looking at today, Cheryl? I can't even tell based on what you're wearing. You're wearing a beautiful lime green, but normally you give me a clue with a badge. Mm-hmm. There oh. is one there. Sarah, it's, look a a little food. it's food. Treats today. Treats. Ah, doggy treats. Doggy treats. Beautiful. And and Dr. Paul, what are we chatting about? We're going to look at eye diseases, when to panic, when not to panic. Hey, good mm. one. Because that's the unknown, the eyes. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to muck around with it, do we? You only get two. But Cheryl, today we're talking about dog treats. Now, treats can be very useful, I guess, in training and, and you know, rewarding good behaviour. But I guess we do need to be careful in how much we're giving our pets treats. Absolutely. And not only that, Sarah, some treats aren't actually healthy for dogs. So when we're Mm. thinking about dogs, and I mean, most of us do give our dogs treats, but when we are looking at what the treat is all about, we need to remember some treats are full of things that we call junk. And it's just like if you're feeding, um, you know, junk food to your kids. You want to not do that with your dogs because dogs, um, with when they're fed a lot of treats, they get obesity. And obes- obesity is on the increase, I believe, Paul. Oh, sure. Yeah, look, uh, it, it mirrors human society. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and often we, we do find that people... Um, look into those big brown eyes and say, oh, look, I, I can't not feed them. They, they look like they're hungry. But to be honest, dogs don't need as much food as, as, as a lot, lot of us are feeding them. Yeah. yeah, and apart from obesity, diabetes also is a problem with, with food-related um, issues. Yeah, and particularly in cats. So cats get type 2 diabetes, which is the actual um, I've eaten too much diabetes. And so it is about monitoring that because diabetes is a, sadly a side effect of being obese. Yeah, so we need to either be limiting or um, eliminating, if we can, some treats that we're giving to our pets. Now, treats work in a couple of ways. For us, when we give a dog a treat, we feel really good about it. It's a feel-good feeling. Mm. You know, you're giving the dog a treat, and like you said, Sarah, they're looking with the big brown eyes going, oh, this is wonderful. So it's a way of we express our love to the dog um, by giving them a treat. So that is strengthening your affection towards the dog and love your me more than daddy that yes sort of and thing, that yeah. people do that you know you see it regularly where you know grandma sits and gives biscuits to the <laughs> yep. dog when they're having a cup of tea all the kids yes all the children you're quite right but the second thing about treats is they're great for training so certainly we do need when we're doing our training to to give treats but you don't need to give a lot of treat you know the dogs are quite happy just to have a small piece and particularly if you're using something like liver which is really rich it can um, create a lot of upset tummies and diarrhea so we just need to be careful when we are using it for training that we're um, not giving too much so everything in moderation and making sure that the treats are safe and healthy so best treats are those that are uh, don't have any additives so we want to be looking at something that is you know maybe 100% beef something like that um, and that these treats that we are giving aren't creating extra problems with obesity so if you're giving a lot of treats we're going to have dogs that are putting on weight and i was at the vets with my dog this morning and one of my dogs is um getting a little <laughs> bit too much from my daughter so yeah yes yeah, so a general ha- reminder there that we're yes. going to watch the weight yes. <laughs> so when you're selecting treats for your dogs i urge you to pick up the packaging and read what is actually in yeah them. absolutely because some treats are full of lots of fat lots of sodium and lots of 
sugars. Yeah. So we need to look at what these additives are that are in these um, packets of dog food. My thing is, if you can't recognise the food that's in it or what's on the label, or if you can't um, pronounce it, then avoid it because mm. some of these things are really quite nasty. Lots of nitrates are in dog food um, to help preserve it and those are going to create problems. So things to avoid. You need, when you're reading those labels, to avoid things like meat meal because these usually are byproducts. They're things that we wouldn't really want to be eating, things like bones and beaks and things like that, all mm. mealed up into the, that pet food. Um, artificial sweetness. So they're things like your sugar, your corn syrup, your uh, fructose, um, molasses. These things are again, can create other problems. And, and Paul, would they interfere with dentals as well? So the, the issue often with some of the treats is that for a treat to work effectively for dental disease, they need to be chewing that for at least five to ten minutes. Mm. Now, a lot of those sugar-based treats, they're chomp and gone. Yes. So they're actually not benefiting. So um, as you were talking about using treats for, for purposes, there's treats for training, and if you're using treats for dental disease, it needs to be a non-sugar base, obviously. Yes, that's yep. really important because a lot of people just don't realise these sugars are in the um, pet food. Could just be doing like, more harm than good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's other fillers that we should avoid. You know, things like wheat, corn and um, soy. These are often allergy triggers. Is that correct, Paul? Yeah, and, and often we're not... So as with humans, we're, we're not born with allergies. We tend to develop allergies over with, with sort of reinforced contact over time. But some things are more likely to cause allergies and, and certainly high proteins, high sugars, they are things that you can see more reactions to and the more likelihood an allergy will develop. Yeah, so avoiding things that have got those artificial flavourings, um, salts, uh, fat, high fat content is really important. Another thing to avoid too is milk-based treats because often dogs are lactose intolerant. Yeah, interestingly, um, in the wild, of course, once weaned, a dog has no access to milk. Um, they wouldn't get it. Mm. And so the GI tract and the microbiome that's created by what you eat to help you digest your food um, often is very challenged by milk products. And so it can be one of the things that to be careful of. Not yes. all dogs, obviously, are lactose intolerant, but some are. And it's important to be conscious of that. If you are seeing loose stool on a regular basis from your treats, you might want to see whether there is milk-based protein in there. Mm. Now, another thing, at this time of the year, we start seeing um, a lot of imported products as mm. well. So we've got things that are coming out that are looking really, really colourful. You know, Christmas colours, your red and green treats. Now, often these yeah. are raw hides, and these are treated in a terrible way because they're imported from often third world countries which don't have the regulations like we have in Australia. Some of these things that you can be feeding to your dog can be quite um, chemically toxic so okay. you need to really look at that as well. And I find you can get a lot of those um, at your local markets and you know that they're done, a lot of those are done Absolutely. locally yeah. and, you know, yes. so that's always they're, a good alternative. Exactly yeah. and the markets are a really good source mm. for treats because yeah. generally they are homemade the, the ingredients, the exactly they know exactly what's going in them um, they've often tried them on their own dogs and tested them so, yeah, I think markets are another really good source. Yeah. And one of the things, some, some treats have no nutritional value whatsoever. Yeah, so, lots. Yeah. <laughs> That's the whole point of a treat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we do, we do need to make sure that when we are looking for a, a, something that we want to give our dog or something special, that it does have, um, you know, really good content and that it's healthy for your dog. So last question, how bad is it then uh, when you do cut just a little just a little bit of the scotch fillet at the dinner table and, you know, sneak it under to, to the dog? I mean, yeah, you're getting in trouble off the husband and that 
sort of thing. But ha- how bad is that? Oh, look, they're just little tidbits. Some of those are okay, but just don't do it all of the not time. Not all the time. Well, Scotch and fillet, it's not happening all the time, let me <laughs> tell you. And really, it's just about factoring that into the general equation. Yeah. So if your dog has... Um, less dinner. Less, exactly. You, so I always tell my clients is that there are really lots of bad foods. It's really if you're getting a dog overweight, it just means the portion sizes are incorrect. You just need to give less. So lots of people find that a really enjoying, enjoying part of their bond is that when they have something to eat, their, their dog does too, or their cat does, or their rabbit does. And, and that's absolutely fine, provided that you're factoring that into the daily equation yes. and we're taking some of dinner away, you can actually give your dog six or seven small treats over the day if you wish to. It just needs to be sure you're watching the body weight. And always I think it's best if you are going to give a treat to a dog, try and make sure that the treat the dog's either sitting for it or it's going into the dog's bowl. Yes. The dog who gets that little bit of scotch fillet under the table <laughs> is going to end up sitting under the table for every meal yeah. um, so you and might be making a rod for your own back of course and of course if you're having a barbecue or people around you have to be super careful that people Correct. aren't doing that because that's, that's when they can overeat and yes. get that's right pancreatitis all sorts of issues can be associated with high fatty meals some mm. good points you bring up Cheryl particularly this time of year where we are more likely to indulge in the treats yes. coming up to Christmas 49216216 is our number for pet chat welcome to the show Paul in Hamilton. Now, we were talking about, uh, just we touched on dogs with uh, diabetes before, and you want to know how you can tell if your dog is a diabetic. That's right, because uh, it's a Yorkshire Terrier, and it's only about 12 months old, and every time I give him a smacko, I think he might know what a smacko is, I ask <laughs> him to say, I love you, and he goes, I love you. Oh, that's you. super cute. <laughs> that's <laughs> terrific. <laughs> Paul and the talking dog. <laughs> <laughs> and he won't, he, he stopped buzzing up the wall tree, I tell you. You give him something else, he, he'll, he'll sniff it. But if I give him a smacko, he knows he has to say, I love you. <laughs> very clever. Oh, so, very so, so, Paul, for a young dog, diabetes is very, very unlikely, of course, in that diabetes oh, okay. is, is generally a, a, a disease of the more mature or the adult dog. Um, and, right. and secondarily, the, the things to look for for diabetes... There, there are three very common side effects. The first one will generally be that they will drink much more than normal. What happens when you're hyperglycemic is your body has some compensating mechanisms and so it tells your body to drink more water. So that's the first one. The second one often is, is that they, they will become even hungrier than they were before initially so the body's not being able to get the insulin to get the glucose into its cells so the body's hungry because the glucose is staying in the bloodstream and not being put into the tissues so the brain is then saying we haven't got enough glucose all the cells are starving eat more so they'll initially eat more than normal but as the body becomes affected by those high glucose levels and becomes unwell then you'll get vomiting diarrhea weight loss so they're the three things to be watching as you first start. And obviously the, the, the other thing associated with drinking more than normal is you urinate more frequently. So if you're getting a dog that, or, a, or a cat in these circumstances as well that is drinking more and urinating more, um, certainly one of the things that, that often do is pop a urine sample into your vet had them check that for glucose. That's often a very easy way to check first up whether it's a possibility. Lots of things can cause glucose in the urine, but one of the most common things, of course, is diabetes mellitus, and a urine test can be very handy. And that other thing too, before I go, I can get him to talk like an old man. He just he, he makes his mouth move and <laughs> makes his jaws yap together, but it look like he's got no teeth. And he yaps. He goes. Bup, bup, 
I think he's got mad boys. Paul, I'll, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you can get him to say I love you on radio. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, look, I, I'm trying to get him to do it now. He's just looking at me and said, well, you think I am stupid? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Paul, thank you for the call. What a crack up. I love it. <laughs> We've got Nola uh, from Belmont. Hello, Nola. You've got a question uh, about your dog for Dr. Paul today. Yes, I have. Thank you very much. Yes, my dog has been diagnosed with Cushing's disease. Mm-hmm. Um, she's nearly 13, and we've decided not to go with any treatment. I was wondering what you think. Sure. So Cushing's disease, for all our other listeners, is a disease where the adrenal gland produces too much hormone. Now, the effect of having too much um, cortisol in your system um, it impacts lots of different things. So your skin becomes thin. Um, often you get a large liver, so you get a pot-bellied appearance, um, hair loss. Uh, the most common clinical signs are they drink more than normal. Um, often they're, they're hungry than normal. And they often pant more than normal because of that elevated cortisol level. Yeah. Now, Cushing's disease... Fortunately for most dogs is a very um, slowly progressing disease. So it is due to a tumour. There's a tumour in either the pituitary gland in the brain or in the adrenal gland themselves. But fortunately both of those tumours tend to be very slow growing. Um, and I, I would think, uh, Nola, you're not alone. I think probably in my own um, experience, about 50% of owners treat their dogs for Cushing's and 50 don't. The reason okay. being for our listeners as well, and one of the reasons why Nola may have elected to do this, it's a complicated disease to both treat and manage. It's also an expensive disease to treat. And so sometimes costs are prohibitive to, to using the medication to control this. Um, I would say, though, that most dogs' quality of lives are improved by managing the disease. When you don't have that circulating Cushing's affecting both your mental state and also your your physical state, um, most dogs are far happier having their disease treated. Um, oh. But Nola, that's certainly a, a discussion to have with your with your vet. Um, what I assume that your dog is a small breed dog. Yes, um, pardon me. Bichon Frise Maltese. Yeah, so certainly the Bichon and Maltese, the Terriers are a very common breed to be associated with Cushing's disease. Um, And look, depending upon how much of an impact the disease is having with your pet, um, again, a a discussion to have with your vet about that. I I certainly see the benefits in treating the disease can, can really be quite quite astounding and you may be surprised at the difference a dog that is treated is um, when you haven't actually realised that some of the behaviours you are seeing are related to having Cushing's disease. Yes, yes. Oh, I just wanted another opinion but I, I think we might go with what we're doing. She's happy. Yeah. Um, doesn't like to walk much um, but it would just be a matter of knowing her limitations, Nola. So this is a disease that, that, that can have knock-on effects. It actually can cause secondary diabetes. So just be watching for any change over time. And look, as I always say to my clients, it's, it's quality of life rather than quantity of life. And so provided that, that your dog is, is enjoying her life and things are going well, then, then certainly um, just watching and, and watching for signs is, is, is not a, a wrong way to go. Thank you for your call, Nola, and good luck. 4921616 is our number. Lynn in Western, your game, your babysitting a 14-week-old puppy. <laughs> oh, yes, I am, and it's a Maltese as well. Oh. Is it chewing everything? <laughs> oh, 
So it's actually not an uncommon scenario. So lots of dogs... Um, so, sorry, we'll, start, we'll go back a little bit. So feces are, are also a scent-marking tool for dogs. So dogs will um, release a, a secretion from their anal gland and that tells other dogs that they're there. Okay, so it's, it's a scent-marking tool. So often dogs who are nervous in an, an environment, even, a, a, say, in this situation, a new environment, a puppy being new to a new area, they'll often eat their feces to mask their presence. They don't want to be found. They're nervous about their safety in an area. And so eating that feces is part of that way of hiding that they're there. They're not letting that information be disseminated to other dogs by making sure the feces are being consumed quickly. The thing is, she's doing it in, in her own yard Correct. where she is the only pup. Except that she can smell and hear other dogs around her. Oh, so it, it's actually up. more common in her own yard than it will be on a walk. Oh, right. No, so, no, she doesn't do it on a walk. No. And she's not doing it in my yard. No. But she, I know that she does it in her own. And I just, I didn't know whether that was normal or not. Yeah, so <laughs> it is, it is. Well, I, I guess it, it is normal for an anxious puppy. So, so one of the things I would suggest that you talk to the owners about in her yard is making her yard feel as safe as you can. So lots oh, of so, totally so lots nice. yeah. Nothing. So so when you're in your backyard, even just reading a book in the backyard, showing really normal, relaxed body posture yourselves. Often yeah. backyards for, for puppies are everyone's out there being really busy and active, and it's only about a game with the puppy, um, and then they go inside and the puppy's left there quietly. So it's about really trying to make sure that the backyard is as relaxed and, and a safe-ish looking place for the puppy and that behaviour will often resolve. Yeah, the first day, it was only the first two days that I, I, she was doing it and I, I said, no, you're not to do that. And she hasn't been doing it, but I've got a little schnauzer, so... Um, and she, I mean, she's eight, and she's nearly as big as her now. Yeah, <laughs> and and they play very well together. Perfect. Just also remembering that for all dogs, you're better to rather than say no, you reward behaviour you wish to keep, and ignore behaviour you wish to extinguish. Often by saying no. Uh, you're giving mixed messages. The dog doesn't understand what the word means initially, obviously, um, and it can be praising bad behaviour. So try to avoid using the no. Try and just praise what you like to keep. 49216216, that's our number today for Pet Chat. We would love to hear from you. Welcome to the show, David in Gresford. You've got a question about your blue healer. Yeah, I have actually. Um, the other day I come home and but they normally meet me at the gate. Anyway, I went to Paddy and he couldn't get up. He was shaking like a leaf. And then when he started to get up, he wasn't actually popping at the mouth. He was, like, dribbling. Okay. How long did the bout last for? Probably two or three minutes. Okay. And then he staggered around like he'd been drunk. Yeah. So I think what you witnessed, David, is a seizure. 
Um, so what often happens with a seizure disorder is that there's a, often um, an inability to have normal nerve function to the limbs, so they lose capacity to use their legs. Um, they'll often hypersalivate. Uh, you'll often have a loss of consciousness in severe seizures, but that certainly sounds like a seizure. So seizures have three parts. The first part of a seizure is the dog often realises something is not right, but they don't know what it is. So they'll often try and seek their owner out or they'll often go to ground. They'll try and hide. Then the actual seizure occurs, which the dog has no conscious control of. The the brain um, starts firing abnormally electrically, and so the nerves start functioning abnormally. Then after the seizure has has finished, there's what we call the post-ictal phase, where there's a period of disorientation, um, confusion, and often wobbliness to move around as well. So um, there are... So seizures have an enormous number of causes. So whenever someone thinks of seizures in dogs, they immediately think of epilepsy. But there are lots of other causes for that. And I would certainly have a, have a chat to your local vet, um, maybe have some bloods drawn to check for any other metabolic diseases. Um, seizure disorders are not always managed. It depends on the frequency of the seizure. So that's why we, I would suggest have a chat to your vet, make sure there's no underlying cause that could be managed and cured. Um, and then discuss whether we look at using preventive medication for further seizures to come. Thanks very much for that. No problems. The best of luck, David. Yeah, good luck, David. So, Dr. Paul, when there's been uh, one seizure that mm. you know of, is there is the likelihood that there will be another one? Not always. Okay. So, so seizures... It can be one-off. It can be one-off. And so that's why we often, in, in, in veterinary practice, um, we play the waiting game after the first seizure. Because quite commonly there can be a seizure occurred for an unknown reason and you never see one again. So what we're looking for really, though, is that if you do have a seizure, is you want to know whether there's a metabolic cause for it and so you're looking for other diseases that you could treat or manage for that Um, and generally a seizure is only managed well our our general policy is that if you're seizuring more frequently than once every sort of 20 to 30 days then it's warranted to to manage with medical with medical management if it is epilepsy for example Um, the seizure severity also changes that as well. So cluster seizures, if your dog has more than one seizure on a day, that's a cluster seizure and that must be managed as well. Okay. We don't play the waiting game for those ones. 49216216. Hello, Wayne and Jules. You've got a question about your English staffy for Dr. Paul McCarthy. Yes. Uh, it's a female dissexed four-year-old staffy. And I've read everything that I can, but nothing seems to be working on the... Uh, she, she suffers with bad flatulence. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that doggy smell. I can bath her, and within maybe a day or two, she's got the doggy smell back again. Sure. So we'll start from the top. So what are you feeding? Uh, we're feeding now. We've changed her food to the... Because um, supercoat, uh, skin... One. Mm-hmm. And and that's all you're giving? Well, that's all I know that we're giving her. <laughs> I, I dare say she manages to scrounge off other visitors and things like that. Yeah, so, so most flatulence is related to poorly digested fat in the diet. So dogs who have an increased fat 
um, intake and they don't have the capacity to break that fat down effectively will often produce more gas. So one of the first things you can do is to try and add more fibre into the diet to try and provide better colonic health. So that fibre can be as simple as sweet potato, um, vegetables, um, psyllium husk. Often that's one of the first things to do is try and improve colonic health and see if that will re- reduce some of the gas buildup. Certainly, a lot of the skin diets will have an increased amount of omega-3, omega-6 fatty acids and therefore often oils. Now, they're often great for skin, but not all dogs can digest those oils very well. And it could be that the reason for the flatulence is that there's just too much oil and fat going into the diet. Um, and so you, you might want to look at a, a diet that has, even though it may not be so, so skin-friendly, um, it may have a lower fat content to reduce that. So... Now, can you please remind me that the second question you had after your flatulence? It's the doggy one. The I, doggy I smell. Know. Okay. Or not. Yeah. So what do you wash your dog in? This might be a good one for you, Cheryl. What, do, what, uh, what are you using as your shampoo and how frequently? A shampoo, maybe once a month, once every two months, or when she, like, we take her to the dog park and she rolls in whatever. Okay. So the, the, the doggy smell is normal. So dogs will have a normal doggy smell. If it's a smell that you don't find enjoyable, I would certainly suggest looking at increasing the frequency of your shampooing. Um, look for a natural product. Certainly if you have a dog with skin disease, look for often the ones that contain aloe vera or will actually suggest that they are soap-free shampoos. That's very important. And what you're really looking for, I guess, is a frequency of shampooing that allows the dog to smell like you would like the dog to smell um, at, a, at a convenient um, sort of, I guess, time period that you're not sort of washing daily, of course. But dogs will have a dog smell, but that food, yep. that f- food can play a role in how a dog mm-hmm. smells yep. as, as well as, the, what, as what you're washing in. And Cheryl. also, one, one the of the other... Part, sorry, sorry, the final part to that is with caravanners, can we use baby wipes on the dog? Yeah, it's a good question. So um, the answer is yes, if using, again, moderation. So lots of baby wipes contain alcohols. And so alcohols on skin remove the oils. And so because the, all dogs have a general level of oil required to keep their both their skin healthy and their coat lustrous, if you use them too regularly, you will leach those oils away. And the other thing too, um, Wayne, what you need to do is make sure when you do bath your dog that you actually dry the dog because if you don't use a dryer to dry the dog, your dog is going to develop bacteria and yeast on its skin and that will give you that really awful malodor. So after you're bathing, you need to dry. Even though it's a short fur, you need to still dry that completely. Thank you. There you go. Let's hope that helps, Wayne, so the caravan's not as uh, stinky with (laughs) (laughs) With the English staffy, yeah. We'll go to Suzanne in Fullerton Cove. Now, your elderly cat is losing its hair. Yes, he's losing fur around where his collar was, and he hasn't had his collar on for probably two or three months, Mm -hmm. and also on his tail, Mm. at the base of his tail. So 99% of the time, hair loss on the base of the tail at this time of years is fleas. What are you oh. using for your flea control? Um, what I've always used, I think, is an excellent pet. I couldn't say I'm at home at the moment. But, yeah, so um, certainly if it's, a, if it's a product you've used for a very long time, what can sometimes happen is resistance may develop to the product. So it's Ah. often never a a wrong reason to try a different product. Some Mm -hmm. of the products we have used for fleas have been around for a very long time. Mm 
And so lots of resistance is starting to develop to those older products and looking at perhaps a change is always a good idea. So tail base is certainly fleas generally until proven otherwise. Not much else causes a reaction at the tail base rather than, than fleas. Mm-hmm. Um, the other section that fleas love to hang out is the base of a neck and the head. So I'd be suspicious that with hair loss in both those areas, you might have that related. With regards to hair loss around where a collar has been, was there ever was there ever a tick or a, sorry was there ever a flea collar used around the neck? Not well, since I've had him, which is about five years. Okay, so certainly sometimes flea collars given to young animals can cause permanent change to how the hair follicles. Well, the older ticks, I should say, should. Mm. Um, I've fixed that. The older flea collars, certainly, which were quite strong, would often cause changes long-term, and newer ones don't seem to have that risk. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing is, if a collar's been rubbing for a long period of time, the hair follicles can be damaged over time, and therefore mm-hmm. there's just no more hair to regrow from there. But if you're actively losing hair from a site, that generally indicates that the skin is unhealthy. Um, and I, as I said, with your history... Um, of the location of those two areas, I would think flea would be your number one rule out. Um, but other, other than that, if you're not finding that flea control does fix that, talk to your veterinarian about whether there's an underlying allergy. Okay, thanks, Suzanne. We appreciate the call. I believe we've got Kath back on the line. Hello, Kath. Hi, how are you? We're great. How can we help you? Uh, I'm just calling regards to um, my dog. He's about three years old and he's like constantly digging and just like barking into like there's nothing there but he's just barking a lot and he's also like pacing up and down the backyard and he causes like just one track yep. and then he'll constantly pace in the same track okay so almost all of the things you've listed as behavioral signs are all signs of anxiety or boredom so, so certainly dogs who are doing repetitive pacing behaviours are either doing it because they're anxious of, the, of their own safety or they're so bored that that's what they've developed as their habit to try and give them something to do. So how often is your dog exercised? Um, we walk here probably like every second day, but he is, he's a border collie, so he's just very active. Yeah, so you've got so a bored border collie. Yeah, so border collies are work dogs. They want to have a job to do all the time. And so if we're not mentally stimulating those guys regularly, you will find boredom and destruction associated with that boredom. And that, that actual behaviour can then lead to anxiety because of that. So look for lots of different things you can use in your backyard to keep your dog entertained when you're not there. So there are home alones, which are sort of a ball on a string to try and encourage them to play with the ball to get treats. Um, you will need to exercise a border collie daily, if not twice twice daily. These guys are, are, are designed to be herding, designed to be chasing. Uh, then if they're not getting those instinctual behaviours released, then boredom and destruction are next. So, so the border collie really needs a lot, of, a lot of mental stimulation. You can use the treat balls that, that you have to sort of puzzle solve to get the food out. Um, rather than feed the bowl of food, sprinkle your food through the backyard so you've got to spend some time finding it. These are, these are boredom behaviours, as my first guess, but if they've been present for long enough, they may develop as anxiety. Have a chat to your vet about some other things you can use for that. Thanks for your call, Kath. Uh, we're going to go to Michael now. Uh, Michael's in Madawi. You've got a staffy and uh, you've got a problem with certain things your staffy's eating. Yeah, I've got a... How you going, Paul? I'm well, thank you. Um, I've got an English staffy. He's about 
12 or 13 years old. Yep. And I've also got three other dogs there. And I've got a little... He, he seems to be eating the little silky feces. Yeah. He wants to own the uh, turf. And the turd, as it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah. Sorry, Sarah. Zinger. Couldn't, couldn't yeah. So what, what's happening, Michael, is that, is that the dog's trying to keep the territory for itself and is masking the scent of other new dogs in the environment. So trying to make sure that all the land is owned by, by him or her um, and, and removing the scent of the other dog. Okay, yeah, because the other three are females and, and he's the only male, but yeah. he doesn't seem to touch the other two dogs. No, because those dogs have obviously suggested to him that there's no reason for competition. They're, they're not challenging for any land, not challenging the situation. They're happy with the status quo. The new dog coming in may be marking areas that he needs to try and mark as his own, and so he's trying to remove that scent from those areas. Okay, thank you so much, Michael. I think we have time for one more call, and we're going to go to Tony now, who's in the Hunter Valley. Now, we were going to touch on eye problems, we, Paul. We were. We've we, been too busy. We haven't got there yet, which is fantastic. We love taking calls. Uh, but look, uh, Tony, you've got a seven-year-old Jack Russell, and he does have eye problems. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, he's, um, they do get puffy at times, but we wipe them up and, and give them a bit of a clean. But he, he tends to ask, as soon as you do that, he, he like scratches them on the grass and runs around with his head around at 100 miles an hour. Okay. <laughs> so with regards to the eyes themselves, are the whites yep. of the eyes red or is it just that there's a discharge? Just just. Okay, so certainly the most likelihood for for, for a chronic discharge is both eyes, I'm assuming? Yes, mate, yeah. Yeah, I'd be suspicious that this is going to be an underlying allergy. So allergic um, conjunctivitis is very, very common um, and and will often indicate a sort of a a sticky or a mucoid discharge rather than lots of watery discharge. Yeah, Yeah, that's what it gets, like a yellow. Yeah, so this is is most likely to be an allergy in origin and and your vet can provide you with medication for that. The second possibility is that the, the tear ducts can block. There are two little ducts that run from the corner of your eyes down to your nose and if they block, then you'll often have the tears not be able to run down and you'll get a discharge for that as well. But but I would think allergy would be your number one. Okay, thank you so much, Tony, for your call. And look, can you believe it? I think that's all we've got time for today. We're just about out for the pet chat. Thank you for everyone who has called in today. Uh, some great advice given, some great, great questions. We will, of course, be back at same time next week. Cheryl Shaw, thank you for coming in and My for pleasure. Uh, educating us on doggy treats, yes. what we should and shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Dr. Paul McCarthy, thank you for all your words of wisdom. We didn't quite get to uh, That's eyes That's alright. I general, will hold it for another time. As I said, I'd much rather have calls and answer those for people. If, if, if they need information given, that's what we're here for. And thank you for listening and giving us calls today. We always love hearing from you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>